0: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Ukraine Without Hype, a podcast by Hermatike International where we cover the biggest stories of the past week from Ukraine and the region. I am Maria Hermanenko and beside me is my colleague Romer Kokretsky. Hey, that's me. This week we've got some very different stories to discuss. First of all, there was another serious criminal incident that shook Ukraine, but mostly Kiev this week. And secondly, we have another Yanukovych-era official appointed to the government. We will also discuss some oligarch Kolomoisky news and finally find out what's happening with the construction of the controversial Nord Stream 2 pipeline. As a US-based energy expert, Anna Mikulska gives us an update and breaks the latest news down. Romeo, this already happened four days ago, but Ukraine is not so used to uh, bomb threats um, unless they like anonymous phone calls, so it came as a shock. Can you tell us what happened on Monday?
1: Yeah, so on August 3rd um, at noon, basically, a guy walks into uh, a branch of a, a bank called Universal Bank in the center of Kiev. And sometime later, a representative from that bank branch calls the police and says, there's a man here in his 30s who says he has a bomb in his backpack. So the bank branch that this is taking place in is uh, this place called Business Center Leonardo right in the center of Kiev. So this is uh, kind of right in the middle of everything. Pretty much everyone evacuates Leonardo. The head of the the branch stays uh, in the room with this man who's threatening to blow up the place. Um, but everyone else leaves. All the blank employees leave and... The whole center is evacuated, uh, nearby streets are, you know, cordoned off, uh, and basically the police mobilized for this kind of hostage situation of this guy threatening to blow up a building in the middle of Kiev. One of this guy's demands was to talk to journalists that came to to cover the story. And when he was given the opportunity to talk, um, he basically said that he's unhappy with the political situation in Ukraine, and he's unhappy with Zelensky. Um, he called a bunch of world leaders traitors and and cops uh, in their kind of preparation and, and, and security building. They began um, placing snipers in the building opposite this Leonardo. Um, but after about, you know, three hours of this kind of tense negotiation between law enforcement and, and this guy, uh, law enforcement simply stormed the building, detained him, and... There were no explosives discovered, so he's kind of basically bluffing this whole thing. This guy, by the way, uh, according to the Kiev prosecutor's office, is Sukhrob Karimov, an Uzbek citizen, so he's not actually Ukrainian. It's not exactly clear what relation he has to Ukrainian politics. He, after being detained, he's been ordered into custody for two months uh, without the possibility of bail, and he's being charged with committing a terrorist act with the help of an explosive, which could see him face from five to ten years in prison. And again, his real motives are, are are not yet fully clear. So we're not exactly sure what compelled this Uzbek citizen to seize a major business center in the middle of Kiev. But hopefully, uh, eventually, we will know a little bit more about it and that this does not become a regular thing, because I think this is the third kind of criminal thing that we've had this month alone or, or last month in the past two months.
0: Yeah, I mean, we had the Lutsk story with the bus um, hostage taken, and then we had the uh, that guy who uh, stole a car and then took a police officer as a hostage and drove off to the forest and ran away. By the way, he was killed uh, by the police uh, after one week of searching. Um, but that's last week's news. In terms of Kiev, Kiev usually been like a safe place to live in. So it's, it's strange to see these things happening in Kiev as well. But this also, we had the police, bridge mining uh, two incidents quite recently as well. I think within the last seven, eight months there have been two uh, stories when um, somebody, a guy just says that he's mined the bridge and they had to close off the bridge and stop all the car traffic. So this kind of, I mean, as I said, gives, usually is a place safe to live. Uh, But this reminds me, I don't know, I think the last time when we had something violent like this, when people, like when it's, when you hear the stories after a story of, you know, some violence or somebody wanted to do some violence, it kind of almost brings you back to the days of the Euromaidan.
1: And you actually, you know, speaking of the Euromaidan, there's a man who once worked in the interior ministry under Yanukovych's reign, uh, that is, up until 2014, who has now been appointed to a very high position in Zelensky government. Um, Maria, do you know anything more about this?
0: Yes. Um, Oleg Totaro is his name. He was appointed by President Volodymyr Zelensky as his deputy chief of staff. So quite a high position, as you said yourself. Uh, Tatarov was the head of an investigative department and the interior ministry until 2014, and as a privately practicing lawyer afterwards, defended a judge accused of treason. Critics of Tataro, such as Heavenly Hundred lawyer Valeri Chernobuk, have claimed that Tataru acted to whitewash the actions of interior ministry agents responsible for beating and killing Yuramitan protesters. And speaking of long-serving politicians, oligarch Igor Kolomoisky has been a well-known figure among the Ukrainian societies for decades now, including in the field of politics, as he served as the governor of the Dnipropetrovsk region in 2014, up until 2015, you know, when he was still buddies with the then-president Petro Poroshenko. Then, of course, they fell out, and we all know what happened. But actually, the reason I brought up Kolomoisky is because the news regarding him have been in the press all week long. Romeo, tell us what's happening with the oligarch.
1: So Kolomoisky has been under fire for the $5.5 billion fraud that was uncovered at the bank he used to own, Privatbank, Bank, which was then nationalized. And uh, a lot of places are now looking into where the $5.5 billion could have gone. Again, $5.5 billion. I don't know how I can stress that enough. But in this latest saga of people kind of uh, looking into where his money went, the United States has gotten into the game. So the uh, U.S. FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigations this week, has raided um, offices of a company in Cleveland, uh, Cleveland, Ohio, that is linked to Kolomoisky. Um This place, so this company, it's called the Optima Management Group. It owns uh, several uh, pieces of downtown Cleveland uh, property. And actually, for a while, until they started selling off some of this property, they were the largest landowner in Cleveland. So, <laughs> Colin Moisky, um for reasons, uh, decided to own a bunch of Cleveland. Though, again, Optima did sell out most of its commercial real estate in downtown uh, Cleveland, but not all. So, uh, the FBI raided these places' offices, um, and they served a search warrant uh, at another Kolomoisky linked business in Miami. And we don't exactly know what they were looking for, but they did take uh, computers, files, and, and all the usual stuff law enforcement raids uh, take when they raid a company. We do know at least part of what the reason. So, a day ago, the Department of Justice um, this is the kind of justice ministry uh, for the United States uh, they filed two civil forfeiture complaints basically, these are motions to seize property. These aren't criminal charges. Uh, just to make that very clear, he has not been criminally charged currently. These are just to seize his property, alleging fraud or misuse or something. So they've filed these two civil forfeiture complaints in Texas and Kentucky, where Kolomoisky also owns property, uh, commercial real estate again. And the DOJ is alleging that the money used to buy these properties was money uh, sourced from that $5.5 billion front. And a couple of words about kind of where all this money went, uh, one of the big conditions that Ukraine's international partners, meaning the, the International Monetary Fund, the European Union, one of their big calls has been the return of this money to, to, to somehow get it back from Kolomoyski. So any news kind of of where what this money could have possibly been used for and where it's gone to is obviously of, of major interest to Ukraine and, of course, the Ukrainian government. So, uh, yeah, the DOJ is alleging that part of this $5.5 billion was used to buy this property. Though, again, Kolomoisky, he he's not exactly been quiet while this is all going around. He's a very outspoken person, though the credibility of his statements is not always clear. Uh, so he hasn't been very silent. He actually gave a, a comment to us, to Hermansky, and he said, quote, All of the investments in the U.S. were made with my personal funds, obtained in 2007 to 2008 with the agreement of Yevraz and with revenues from other businesses which were kept in private bank. I categorically reject everything else, end quote. So obviously he's not admitting guilt. He's not going to come out and say, oh yeah, I totally bought this stuff with, with fraudulent money. And it, it's pretty likely that he's going to contest these complaints in court. And this will probably turn into a multi-year kind of legal saga added to the many legal sockers Kolomoisky is already involved in. But it's also, given that uh, the FBI has done this raids and it's going to take them some time to kind of go through all the documents and the data that they've seized, this is likely far from the end of of the oligarch's legal troubles in the United States.
0: You know, Romeo, let's discuss something positive for once as a break, at least before we get to our next uh, topic, Nord Stream 2, where a whole load of what seems like even more bad news await us. Because a Ukrainian woman who managed to pull off her first kickflip got noticed by a personage no less than storied skateboarder, Tony Hawk. And I suggest we take a listen to this uh, clip. But to watch it, you have to go to Tony Hawk's um, Twitter account or Instagram and then you can see what actually looks like this uh, skateboarding woman um, attempting it. And doing it successfully, it's really, really awesome. Let's, let's take a listen to her. joy.
1: Yeah, that's um really, really cool, actually. Have you ever skateboarded, Maria?
0: Um, No, I, I tried skiing when I was a kid, and I was great at it, it was really impressive. Everybody was impressed with me, but I was like seven or something. And I tried skiing again uh, around 13 years ago when I was a teenager, and let's just say I spent the majority of time uh, sitting on a bench and talking to my dad on the phone instead. <laughs>
1: Well, um, growing up in the 90s uh, in the U.S. skateboarding was a whole thing, though um, I never had the, the coordination to, to pull it off. But I do hope that I will one day find something that'll make me as happy as, as this girl did pulling off her first kickflip. All right. So now with kind of that positive uh, out of the way, let's go back uh, to a bit more negative news. And this is the construction of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. So again, for background who for people who may not be familiar with what exactly we're talking about, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline is a pipeline being constructed by Russia's state-owned energy giant Gazprom, which will avoid Ukraine, kind of twist through the North Sea and deliver gas directly to Europe from Russia. Uh, Currently, The majority of Russian gas to Europe is delivered through Ukraine, which gives Ukraine a little bit of leverage in terms of uh, negotiating positions with Russia. But if they complete construction of this Nord Stream 2 pipeline, Ukraine loses that leverage. Obviously, uh, Ukraine is not very keen on seeing that pipeline completed. Um, And there have been ups and downs in the story. Before this week's news, the pipeline's construction had hit a dead end where the Danish government, they had to... So the pipeline was going through the North Sea, and they needed to go through some of the Danish government's uh, territorial waters. And the the Danish government was not allowing it. But this week, we learned that the construction may soon resume, because um, the kind of stay that the Danish government put on this pipeline's construction has expired. People needed to submit uh, appeals against uh, the construction of this pipeline to the Danish government. A consultant for one of these complaint boards um, at this uh, body that was handling uh, the appeals process said that no appeals were filed, which means there were no complaints, and the stay was automatically expired without renewal. But the company Nord Stream 2 AG, a German domiciled company, though it is a subsidiary of Gazprom, uh, it still needs to actually file documents with the Danish government in order to get the, the construction permits, which they have not yet done. So Ukraine is obviously very interested in stopping the progress of this construction, but other European countries are as well. Um, Poland, for example, has kind of unified its anti-Gasprom efforts here, anti nord Stream 2 efforts here to cease construction. The um, anti-monopoly regulator in Poland fined Gazprom $57 million um, because they requested some uh, documents from Gazprom, something about contracts uh, between Nord Stream 2 and other companies that are financing the construction. It, it is mostly Russia, but there are some some other companies that have uh, stakes in this as well. So the regulator decided to fine uh, Gazprom $57 million, uh, because Gazprom didn't comply with the uh, regulator's uh, demands there. But what's going to happen is not entirely clear. But luckily, Uh, I had a chance to speak to Anna Mikulska. She is a fellow in energy at the Baker Institute for Public Policy and a senior fellow at the Kleinman Center at the University of Pennsylvania. And she knows far more about this topic than I do. So let's take a listen and see what she had to say. Dr. Mikulska, thank you for uh, joining me. So let's drive straight down into it. Uh, The Nord Stream 2 pipeline project has been one of the more controversial uh, pipelines that have, I think, been proposed in in modern memory, at least considering the geopolitical implications. Um, And now it seems that after, you know, setback after setback uh, for Gazprom, it it seems like the project is going forward. So uh, what is kind of the latest developments and uh, can we kind of expect that, that Nord Stream 2 will be completed this time?
2: So, the project has halted um, what, a hundred sixty kilometers before being completed around that, and that has been based on the u s sanctions that have imposed uh, that have been imposed on it um, in December and they basically didn't allow the company all cease to finish laying down the pipelines um. And Aussies backed out, and what happened is that Russia started looking at options uh, which would involve um, its own vessels. Um, It took a while since the vessels had to be prepared, and Akademik Chersky is the main one that's going to be, that's supposed to be laying the vessels. Um, Denmark has granted its permits uh, for that quite quickly, which was, I think, it was surprised to some. Um, I know, talking with some of my colleagues um, in Poland, at least, that um, they were expecting a longer process. Uh, so so the, the the issue is now whether or not there's going to be a next set of sanctions uh, coming in from the U.S. Um, and that would involve. Um, That will involve uh, more companies, not only the pipeline laying vessels, but all companies that are involved in in Nord Stream 2 projects. Uh, That includes a lot of European companies that are, for example, uh, involved in financing. Uh, of the project. Uh, So that's a bigger kind of reach of of sanctions. Uh, And I think we come back to those, Uh, but let me put uh, one more thing that Nord Stream 2 is against and it's the EU regulations that have been introduced that that, um, impose or that apply the EU third energy package rules onto the pipeline, right? So um, as soon as it gets on the EU territorial waters, which would be German territorial waters, uh, it needs to apply with unbundling principles and third-party access and transparency principles. And that could become a problem given Gazprom's monopoly over pipeline uh, uh, pipeline uh, exports too. Uh, pipeline exports period mm-hmm. right so uh, particularly in the third-party access it could be an issue and then it would they would have to figure out the ownership of the pipeline versus gas versus um versus cells of the of the gas so it's it it, it will be more complicated even when or if the pipeline gets completed. Now, if the pipeline gets completed, that's kind of the, the big, big question, which I think everybody's asking. I've been talking with many people who, who are interested, in, well, is it going to be completed? It's going to be, it's going to take time. It's already taking much more time. Uh, it's it's going to take at least a year, year more um, and possibly more uh, if new sanctions from the US are involved. Uh, and, but I, it's so far, And at this moment, it it becomes, um, and and whatever we hear from the Russians is, we will finish this pipeline, right? So um, I wonder whether this is becoming just a matter of making it happen, to show everybody they can make happen, doesn't matter what. uh, That old saying goes,
1: uh, asking for uh, forgiveness is always better than asking for permission.
2: yeah, although I I I I wonder you whether know, that that's, uh that will, would be the case. I think they, they potentially can uh, comply one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, that may cost them or Gazprom from um, some you know uh, not only the and so on, but uh, but it's going to be difficult. Even the compliance with the EU rules, so it's going to be difficult, and they were already already rejected by Bundesnetzagentur. Uh, in terms of um, the derogation of the EU principles towards uh, uh, Nord Stream Two, so um, a lot of a lot of issues that the pipeline is still uh, having had.
1: So there's no guarantee that it, even though uh, Denmark has unblocked uh, the, this construction, that it will still get finished. There's there are still huge obstacles that guess gas.
2: There, still there still are several obstacles. Again, particularly if. EU sanctions, uh, not EU sanctions, particularly if e- US sanctions mm. are imposed. And we have seen a huge push in the US for those.
1: I, I believe uh, there's currently a bipartisan grouping led by Senator Ted Cruz that's, that's aiming to uh, expand the, the sanctions regime.
2: Uh, that's that's correct, and that has been included in uh, in uh, in the uh, the the defense spe- uh, defense spending bill, I believe. Mm-hmm. So it gets even more traction now because you know it's it's it just with all other things that are involved there. So it's more difficult to reject the specific thing than mm-hmm. others. Bipartisan support is very rare nowadays. Uh, in the U.S., so that's uh, a kind of a bad news for uh, for uh, for Nord Stream. Um, and um, very recently, uh, even a set of senators, or um, uh, ha- with Ted Cruz, has has uh, approached one of the German ports, uh, mentioning that um, if uh, they collaborate with Nord Stream two. Um, they would be, um, be subject to sanctions too. So, um, and quite immediate as well. So there is this uh, very strong position uh, on the part of the U.S., uh, of some of the U.S. Legisl- mm-hmm. legislators, really. Um, not as much the execut- executive branch, which is an interesting, actually, caveat to
1: that. So one of the things that I've always been um, curious of as, as kind of a layman in, in this topic is uh, so there's a lot of rhetoric, obviously, uh, from Ukraine, how Nord Stream 2 would be terrible um, from Ukraine's partners like the United States. uh, And of course, Russia has the opposite view. It's great. Um, But what I've always been curious is how true is this kind of threat to European energy independence in terms of Nord Stream 2? I mean, Germany being kind of the economic powerhouse of the EU um, doesn't seem to be... Protesting that much, but then you have countries like Poland that are saying, "Oh no, it is, it will be the end of our energy independence." How true is is this rhetoric, or where exactly, what kind of threat does does the pipeline actually uh, pose outside of kind of this uh, political rhetoric?
2: Uh, the truth, probably, like always, is somewhere in the middle, right? Uh, and and all parties have some kind of uh, some argument that that kind of uh, you know definitely can gain traction. Uh, so Russia is, uh, at least officially, is trying to avoid the problematic Ukrainian transit. Uh, what, what they call right? So uh, the fact that you know, uh, you, you, there were uh, there were breaks in supply to Europe several times at the time when the supply was really needed, uh, end of the cold winter. Um, that kind of created uh, Russia's argument, which says, "Well, we cannot really rely on Ukraine because we weren't sending the gas to Ukraine. Ukraine was siphoning the gas that was going further, and that's why you ha- did not have that gas." So this is for Russia's unreliable transit. We actually want to provide Uh, provide energy security to EU by Mm -hmm. making sure that we deliver it directly with no other third parties involved that could uh, provide trouble. Um, The uh, argument that we hear from uh, countries like Poland and Ukraine to to a good extent is, well, this is a way for for, for Russia to create higher dependency, not only on the eastern, in the eastern part of Europe, which Russia has enjoyed uh, by the matter of kind of the, the typical connections that it had via uh, via pipelines, but also now uh, with with the Western Europe, which is going to become more reliant on Russian gas, given that so much gas is going to be coming to uh, uh, directly to the Germany, Germany, a big, uh, very important economy, very important politically in the EU. If Russia has something on Germany, well, then, then there's going to be a problem at, at the very least, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, that also is, you know, it, there is some point to it since those countries have experienced Russia's geopolitical uh, push uh, that relates to gas. Um, or oil, for that matter, we've seen Russia has done it and again and again, and there is a point of, to make that this could be exploited. Now, however, the situation in Europe has changed dramatically. Um, countries are, and that includes uh, Central and Eastern Europe, are better interconnected. Uh, they are building more connections to LNG. I mean, we've seen we have a LNG um, Terminal that works really well in Poland that's being expanded. Uh, we have, uh, you know, Lithuania. We have also Kirk that we still kind of, at last, after years of kind of talking about it, seems like kind of started. Uh, uh, start uh, the plans have started um, on, uh, more uh, in more earnest. earnest. So. Um, and we're building more interconnections, right, with uh, the cable interconnections, now interconnections with Ukraine, Poland is building. So there is, and there's money for it. So um, if those interconnections, uh, there is sufficient interconnections, sufficient access to other sources of natural gas, and that also includes the Baltic pipe that Poland is building with, no- uh, with Norway. Mm-hmm. If there is enough interconnections, uh, and they, that uh, gas that comes in, uh, especially from, for Poland, can be distributed, and balance across the region. Well, then the Nord Stream Two pipeline won't really have that much of an of an impact beyond actually providing additional supply, which means lower prices. Um, and and potentially, uh, those countries won't have that many, won't need that much LNG to bring in, because they'll be able to get cheaper gas in Russia. Um, but this gas will not, will won't have the strings attached the way it had when uh, Poland would import. All this gas from from uh, from Russia or, or other countries, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So that's that's that is very important. Um, if that's hap- if that happens, that that uh, Nord Stream two is not going to be as uh, problematic. Um, now Ukraine is another issue because there is also this uh, argument from that comes out from Poland and other countries and also in Ukraine. Well, that now that Ukraine won't have the Ukrainian transit that's so important for, for, uh, for uh, Gazprom, um, then it won't have the bargaining position it ever had and it becomes really uh, very much susceptible to uh, Russia's geopolitical moves and so on. And while well, Ukraine has its issues with Russia's ob- obviously, I mean Crimea used to be ukra- Ukrainian, it's not anymore, right? So uh, there is a big kind of uh, uh, important reason for, for for being concerned about that. Now, the question though is, Um, especially given Ukrainian policy to kind of become generally less dependent on gas, which means more efficiency, uh, using less gas in industry, more efficient industry, um, creating more domestic supply. Um, Whether Ukraine really wants to bring this much gas from Russia uh, or or even transit it, yes, the fees are important especially now with COVID and economies kind of really being impacted, fees will be important, that's an income. Uh, they are going to be provided for the next five years or so, at least to some some degree that's that's also already stipulated, potentially more if Gazprom needs it, especially if Nord Stream 2 doesn't, isn't completed. But when I think about Ukraine, think, does Ukraine really want to be uh, reliant on those uh, transit fees? Because just as Gazprom, is reliant on the transit, well, then Ukraine is reliant on those uh, uh, on those transit fees for its economic performance, or for its you know for its uh, for its resources, budgetary resources, and that means that there is a dependency that exists, and there is that is that it is susceptible to whatever Russia wants from it. In the meantime, if you think about again this uh, this new energy, new new gas supply, and new interconnections coming in to Central and Eastern Europe, uh, particularly with you know thinking about uh, about uh, uh, Poland but also looking into you know uh, into the Balkans and so on and uh, and Bulgaria or, you know uh, Romania in other places where where Ukraine is kind of like in the middle of this, Ukraine can actually create a good economic uh, performance with what it has. If more interconnections is there, it can balance the market and what it has. It's a storage that has already shown extremely valuable during the COVID uh, uh, pandemic. And when uh, gas basically flooded uh, Europe, um, 30 BCMs, that's a lot. That's a huge amount of storage that can be used. And you know, uh, Ukraine used to be a storage for, the, for wheat, right? For Europe. We, we, we used to call it the, the, the wheat storage of Europe in old times. But now it actually can store gas. Um, in fact, it has performed the function also for Gazprom. So uh, it, there is ways in which Ukraine can actually leverage its, its position, uh, geographical position, its uh, resources, which is storage, which is gas, uh, gas pipeline, as long as there is this uh, better diversification of suppliers, um, which is crucial, and also m- a very well interconnected market that can balance itself. Um, and that, and, and this moment, you know, Nord Stream two stops being an issue. It becomes just additional supply, like from anybody else. And um, and you know, if if we can get Russians to to sell you gas cheap, well, do it. Um, another thing is, if Russia doesn't sell here, or if it's impeded significantly in selling here, it already has pivoted to China, right? Mm-hmm. So if it pivots, if it pivots to China. Well, then, that even more, uh, then it uh, could actually uh, provide issues for Europe. And one of the people would be creating the power of Siberia 2 pipeline. That now uh, it's different in a way that it actually gets the gas from the same resources that Europe gets its gas in Russia and allows Russia for arbitrage. Uh, between Europe and China. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. another kind of, that would be another push, you know, if, if you really, uh, Russia will look how and where to sell its resources, doesn't matter what. And and, uh, and that's why it's very important to be, uh, you know, look comprehensively in the, in the entire picture. Um, And in that way, kind of that, you know, if U.S. wants to have a role, push also for the diversification, uh, push for, you know, help with diversification, uh, help with more interconnections uh, in terms of funding. And I think uh, there has been uh, some funding, uh, at least that is kind of fought for Ukraine, um, you know, uh, to bring uh, U.S. LNG, actually, to Ukraine, the Poland. So this is kind of, I think, uh, a more thought through option um, that would allow Ukraine to be more independent um, in terms of energy income from transit um, uh, than just transiting uh, Russian gas.
1: Well, thank you very much for those insights. Uh, It was very fascinating to to hear about all these aspects of these issues that I never considered before.
2: I'm glad uh, that uh, that we were able to talk. Thank you for having me.
0: That's almost all for this week. But we would also like to say that we will be keeping an eye on the situation in Belarus, where the so-called presidential elections will be taking place this weekend, and protests are highly likely to resume after last Friday saw around sixty thousand people going to the streets in support of the opposition. So we'll be watching that next week. We'll probably have um, discuss it in more detail, whether in our podcast or through newsletters. So we'll be keeping an eye on it. If you like this podcast, please rate it on your favorite podcast platform. We are on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Your ratings and reviews really help us. And this is far from our only product. Check out our YouTube videos by searching for Hermeski International. Sign up for our daily newsletter by following the link in our description. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, just search for Hermatsky International, and Twitter at Hermatsky.
1: Thanks for joining us today, and please remember to give us your best ratings.